I'm sure glad that the scripture tells us it's only a grain of a mustard seed to tell the mountain to move and it will move. So don't be overwhelmed if you came and you go, oh my goodness, I think about mountains in my life. Uh, Hey, just a grain, just a small, whatever faith that is in there, work at releasing it, giving it over to the Lord. Special welcome to you. As I mentioned, I'm Pastor Ed. And I'm sharing from God's word from Luke 14. Uh, At Leadership Summit this year, we go to Leadership Summit, some of us, which is over in Salem. It's uh, simulcast. One of the speakers said, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being invited to the dance. I really like that saying. Let me read it to you again. I have it on a slide so you can see what I'm saying here. Diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being invited to the dance. Jesus Christ invites us both to the party and to the dance. Or to dance. He invites us to dance. Well, at least Galatians tells us that if you live by the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Follow the direction of the Spirit guiding in essence, a a dance. Now, invitation to the party, the reason I like it, you know, invitation to the party is really an expression of friendship. And I'm thankful for an invitation to a party. But an invitation to dance is a whole nother level. It's an expression of affection. It's an expression, if you're going to dance with somebody, of uh, a closeness. Both are important, both are valuable, but what we find in Scripture, Christ not only invites you to the party, but to dance. Now, I was raised Mennonite. What are you guys laughing about? This must be quite a Mennonite uh, congregation, or or at least... uh, those of you who don't know anything about denominations and Mennonite, you know, who knows what other uh, denominational, but my whole reason for mentioning uh, Mennonite is I was forbidden to dance. Yeah, that's why I, I mentioned uh, we just, I don't know if all Mennonites, but I was a good Mennonite boy. There's probably other Mennonites that weren't as good as me, so they probably... <laughs> They probably went to dances, so, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I don't know too much about dancing. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful that in Scripture, God shows his inclusiveness, his affections and closeness in the same way. By not inviting me to a party to dance, but he invites me to a party to eat. I don't have experience in dancing other than I took a crash course to go to prom and I did uh, go to prom with my now wife. Um, But very limited experience in dancing. But my, oh my, I have an experience in eating. (laughs) Yeah, I have an experience. I like to eat. I, I spend a lot of time eating. Do you eat? Do you like to eat? Mm, you don't want to confess, huh? Um, 
Connie and I went to the state fair last week or last weekend and judging, you know, from all the food vendors that were at the state fair, there are a lot of people who like to eat. You know, I enjoy while at the state fair going around and looking at the different vendors. You know, it's kind of cool over at the state fair. They're preparing their foods. And what's so exciting about going around and, and watching them is a lot of it is done right there in front of you. You know, chop, chop, chop. Uh, throw it onto the grill. You, you can hear the snap, crackle, and pop of the meat sizzling on a hot grill. Uh, for some of you, the smell of those curly fries as it comes out of the fryer. It wafts throughout the uh, uh, fairground area where they're serving them. Or the glistening of that barbecue pork and the dripping, the glistening of it as it's on that spit roasting over the coals. Ah. Skylar's ready to go. Skylar, that's my point. It awakens your senses. Huh? Some of you are so distracted, i got to reel you back in. But that's okay, that's partially my purpose. It appeared to me, based upon the smiles, you know, people would pick their various food, and then they would congregate. Uh, based upon people's smiles, the licking of fingers, there were a lot of people who liked to eat. They were savoring each and every bite as they would chew and eventually swallow that morsel, that tasty morsel. Now, Connie asked me what I wanted to eat. What? I don't want to eat. I only want to watch vendors prepare food and see others eat. Why eat when we can watch others? Watching others doesn't cost me anything. <laughs> I don't get my hands all greasy. I don't run the risk of some grease or other condiment falling and getting on my shirt and embarrassing me. Why? Why would I eat? Let's just enjoy watching others. Not. That's absurd. Watching eat does not provide the same satisfaction as you all eating. That's for Dr. Eric Straw. You all for eating. Now, you probably are wondering what in the world uh, I ended up choosing. I know somebody will come to me afterwards. This is really secondary to my whole point, but... It, I, this is why I told Connie when she asked me, what do you want to eat? I said, Connie, you know, I don't care as long as I can get a milkshake from the Dairy Wives booth. <laughs> okay. So I ended up with an Italian sausage, sautéed onions and peppers, but the crowning jewel was that Reese's peanut butter uh, milkshake from the Dairy Wives booth. Next time, though, if you want my recommendation, I go with the Marion Berry. <laughs> no matter, no matter how much I enjoyed watching the vendors do their food thing and all the benefits of that uh, smell and noise and how it appealed to my senses, uh, how much fun and enjoyment in seeing other people and their great satisfaction, it did not and it could not replace 
my own eating. When it, com- when it comes to eating, Neil, Neil's up here in the front. When it com- comes to eating, I like the Nike slogan, just do it. <laughs> yeah, you agree? You agree? This morning, we're going to finish the service with communion. And that's exactly what God is inviting you, not just to watch other people eat, not even just to watch his sacrifice, but for you to eat. For you to eat. For you to firsthand get the satisfaction. For you firsthand to get the fulfillment that can only come by your participation, by your eating. That's the way he makes it personal. You know, we use here the cup of grape juice and the cracker, but really what it's pointing to, he's pointing to you and I in a similar way that we eat physical food, he tells us, eat spiritual food. He invites us to gain the same fulfillment and satisfaction by your eating, your eating in a way that you can only get by your doing it, somebody else can't eat for you. This is what he invites us to. I, I believe the way I like to term this kind of uh, spiritual eating that is meant to bring uh, that satisfaction and fulfillment is to engage your faith, to engage with your faith to be active in how you think about your faith and the integration of Scripture with life. How you use your mind on an ongoing basis is the way that we eat spiritual food. Be active in it. Be a lifelong learner. Never get tired of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Take a contemplative understanding as when we come to the communion, a contemplative understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Chew on that. May you chew on it in such a way and to savor it to where like a delightful morsel, it overwhelms you and you can just ponder in awe. May it motivate us to respond to God when we eat spiritually, that our faith would be active. Now, Jesus Christ often draws us in. He draws us in to eat. Uh, Much like, you know, if I were to go to a dance, I would be kind of bashful. A a gal would have had to really be assertive and draw me in. For some of us, that's what Jesus Christ has to do, even to eat. When it comes spiritually, physical food, we have no problem. Very little effort has to be to get somebody drawn in to eat, but spiritually. And Jesus Christ is a key at how he draws people in, how he quickens their appetite. He knows how to appeal to people's curiosity to get them asking for more. Often, we find in Scripture that Jesus would use physical items to awaken our curiosity Uh, He would use physical items to awaken our appetite for spiritual things, to to develop a deeper understanding of a truth that he's trying to convey to us. Jesus Christ was known to engage people by taking a fish 
a sheep, a coin, a soil, wheat fields, lamp. Getting people to ponder, to chew, to savor that item because they could relate to it. But he would use that to teach a deeper truth that he wanted to draw them into. He wanted to uh, create enough curiosity because he knew the layers and obstacles to get people to see and understand. They had to be stripped away. So often this is how he would draw them in so that they could see more clearly. That they could eat and gain the rich satisfaction, the intent that food was supposed to bring to him. We see that in John 6, 35, when he declares, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Huh. We are meant to settle there and to ponder that. But as I told you, you have seen me, but still you do not believe. The invitation to the Lord's Supper is an invitation to a party. But more important, when we come to the Lord's table today, it's to eat. An incredible expression of affection, of closeness. We're going to eat physical food, a wafer or a cracker and grape juice. But I want you to ponder it spiritually. The act of eating, the affection that God is expressing to you, take that in and how that is displayed as you go about your life, your thoughts of who you are. As we, as absurd as it is to think that I would go to the state fair and choose to watch people eat, rather than as a replacement or a substitute for eating for myself, that is often what we do spiritually. Spiritually, we tend to disengage our brains. We're not talking about physical food anymore. We tend to disengage our brains and justifying it with all sorts of excuses, We need to engage our brains. Look at Hebrews 5.12 that talks about, again, this analogy, the metaphor of eating and food and what he's drawing from in Hebrews 5.12. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. What the intent is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, his intent is that you mature and that you become a self-sustained that you can eat for yourself, not just watch other people eat. We call that in uh, our faith here, the priesthood of believers, that he has equipped you. But that's also then why we assemble as a body, the safeguard, so we don't go awry, that we can check out what we're learning, make sure it's sound with Scripture, The call to follow Jesus Christ means we are a lifelong student whose brains are actively engaged anywhere, anytime to increase our understanding what it means to be a child of God, an heir of Jesus Christ. Now, what I discover, you know, according to Ecclesiastes, and I would agree, there's nothing new under the sun. But there appears to be some things that seem to be a little bit new because there's different layers. 
our understanding of things, or especially our spiritual understanding, there's different layers. And we need to mature by oftentimes pulling some of these layers that hinder our understanding clearly of the relationship that God is calling us into. We certainly see that in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see but a dim reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. May we learn to not just drink milk like an infant, not just to watch other people eat, but may we mature and eat for ourselves from the meat of God's word. Always coming back into community to make sure that we are understanding clearly what Scripture is directing us to. Never in isolation or independent, there's great dangers going rogue in misunderstanding. This morning, I want to bring us by focusing on the parable. The parable, again, is just Jesus Christ's masterful way of drawing people, of, of peeling back layers, because all of us instantaneously uh, will probably put up a front when uh, Christ wants to peel a layer away from our life to see more clearly. And so he often will use parables. And we have one in Luke 14. It's a great banquet. What we see here in this parable that some folks, much like I, when I went to the state fair, jokingly would rather watch other people eat than eat for myself. We find there in Luke 14, the parable we're going to look at, rather than eat, they would make excuses for why they can't come to the party and eat for themselves. Let's first uh, consider the context that this parable is in, Luke 14. Uh, Jesus Christ, we see, look at verse 1. We're going to be looking at the parable there in 12 to the end, um, 15 to 24. But the context of this parable, you see in Luke 14, 1, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Okay, so you get the scene, he's there, he's having dinner, it's a Pharisee's house, but it wasn't just that he was in there for good old times, he knew he was being scrutinized, he was being carefully watched. And he comes to the end of the first parable, we see he rehearses a, a parable, uh, 14, 1 to verse 14, that in essence is telling them, okay, you guys go about, you invite all your friends and that. You do that because it's reciprocal. You invite folks in who are going to repay you something. Really, you are expressing love, not genuinely, not truly. It's a love because there is something you want to get in return. He says, I want you to uh, peel a layer back. I want you to understand a different uh, aspect of, of love, a different layer. I want you to understand a, a layer of love that gives, that is a servant, out of an indebtedness for what God the Father has done, that gives freely, independent of anything I get back. Can you do that? The exercises go out, invite the lame, the cripple, the destitute, 
those who in no way could begin to repay you, not your affluent friends. Then in verse the end of 14, 13, 14, as he brings that first parable to an end. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Ah, Now, Jesus Christ is speaking a language that the Pharisees understand. They understand the righteous because they uh, think of themselves are a part of that group. So undoubtedly, when he says, you will be repaid, not maybe in this life, not maybe by a rich friend inviting you to his party because you invite him. You've invited a lame person, a cripple who can't, repay you in this life, but at the resurrection of the righteous, you'll be repaid. And this is where we see in verse 15, chapter 14, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. See, this Pharisee sitting at the table heard about Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the righteous, and he considered himself a part of the righteous and that he would be there. They understood that there was going to be a feast in the kingdom. This goes back to Isaiah 25. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, this is really uh, forecasting, you know, the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, prior to Isaiah 25, you have devastation because the people defiled their faith in the world, the earth, the wilderness was devastated. It was doomed. But in chapter 25, we have this breakout in this incredible song pointing to a glorious future. And we read these words in Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. See, this Pharisee knew about this, so he said, I'm in. I'm righteous. I want to be uh, in that feast. But notice how Jesus Christ responds to him with this parable, this self proud uh, Pharisee, considers himself righteous, not because of uh, dependence upon Jesus Christ or the mercy of God, but because of his own efforts. Verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now think about a banquet in that days because they didn't have means to communicate by telephone. They didn't have freezers to put the food in and pop it out and microwave it so you could call up the same day and say, hey, come on over. I just took a roast out of the freezer. It's already cooked. We're going to have a meal tonight. This was a process, a feast. You had quite an extravagant effort to prepare the meat 
the slaughter of the animal and the preparation of it, let alone the cooking of it. It would take days. So there was often two invitations. The initial invitation, and then when everything was gathered and the grain was crushed and milled and uh, start to prepare, the wine was collected, then a second invitation. The time is come, we see. Come, it says in the latter part of verse 7, and come, for everything is now ready. So first invitation went out and people responded. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll be there. Second invitation, come. Now everything is ready. Now is the time, but verse 18, something happens. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, no, but, but in preparation for this, some folks, we never read in Scripture where Jesus tells a joke in Scripture. But some people will point to this passage as the closest thing. Some find uh, great humor here, uh, partly because just the absurdity uh, in that culture, knowing the effort, the banquet, that somebody would say yes, they would come, and then all that effort, and then to say no, that in itself to a Jew would be, uh, that's preposterous, oh, that's ridiculous. But maybe even more the, the comical nature is the excuses they give here. For again, why, why they can't come, verse 18. Uh, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Well, that's, that sounds noble, but I would ask you, how many of you would go out and pay who knows how many uh, thousands of dollars for a field without looking at it? If so, as the joke goes, I'll sell you the Brooklyn, uh, no, the London Bridge or whatever bridge. Another said, verse 19, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try it out. Please excuse me. You know, I, I thought about that one. I mean, you, you could really have fun with this. Think about, hey, you just call on the phone, hey, I want to buy that car. Uh, you look at it on the newspaper somewhere, and you go ahead and pay for it, and then you decide, oh, I'll go try it out. Unlikely. I think you'll want to try it out first. And then, of course, we have verse 20. Yeah. Well, um, I just got married. My spouse said I can't come. <laughs> we like to pass the buck with our excuses, don't we? Rather than have ownership. The servant comes back and reports to his master. Then the owner of the house becomes angry and ordered his servant. This is how uh, uh, inclusive we see God is. How direly inclusive he is. Because culturally, the folks that considered themselves to be in are making excuses. He so desires to be inclusive, he tells us here that it's open to anyone. It's not a cultural thing. It's not based on uh, gender, race, wealth, intelligence. Uh, the invitation to come and eat is not restrictive by any means. Uh, those who were proud, the affluent, those who were self-righteous, they, in essence, they excused themselves with their excuses. 
That wasn't Jesus Christ or God. Uh, culturally, that's what we do. We exclude our own selves and blame it on God. God's so restrictive. God's so narrow. So he tells him, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bring in the people who these Pharisees in this house who are now making excuses culturally they would reject. The least of these are to be included and invited to the table to eat. And then I think we just see this incredible, this uh, driven love, this compassion that, uh, you know, it drips from the Lord far greater than it does from you or I. Because look at verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. You know, he doesn't say then, you know, close the doors, we're done. No. He's still pursuing he pursues people to come to the table. He pursues people to eat. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out again, go to the roads, the country lanes, and make them come in so my house may be full. I tell you, verse 24, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet who made excuses. See, this is, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a, a clear passage that tells us it's only a result of Jesus Christ uh, uh, accepting his sacrifice on our behalf that we have this great hope of another life that is eternal, that's not perishable. Sinners are invited to come to the banquet and eat. Sinners. The danger is saints will often make excuses why they can't eat. They already received Jesus Christ. Now they make excuses. Don't do that. But if you're here and you've not responded, this is for you. The first step is to receive Jesus Christ. When we talk about eating, we're talking about metaphorically. We're talking about engaging your faith, placing your faith not in yourself, but that there is a creator and he loves you and sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for you. Spiritual brokenness, this table, this invitation to eat and eat for oneself is for the broken, the lame, the crippled. Brokenness, spiritual brokenness does not differentiate between male or female. It doesn't differentiate between Jew, Gentile, the strong, the weak, the rich, the poor, the child, or the adult. Brokenness is brokenness. The banquet and the invitation to eat is for the broken. God loves, he pursues. The only way we are invited into the banquet is acknowledging that we can't earn admission into the banquet, but to receive as a gift a ticket that has already been purchased by God the Father when he sent son, his son, Jesus Christ, as our sacrifice. A ticket purchased not with money, but with the life of Jesus Christ.
Now, I want us to apply uh, this parable in two ways as we transition to commemorate uh, the Lord's Supper. God is inclusive. Therefore, thrive by eating. Let me explain two things, two aspects to this. The first thing is God is inclusive. I think I already rehearsed that enough. He is inclusive to those who have the courage to see the brokenness that you are spiritually lame, that you are spiritually crippled. It takes courage to acknowledge that about yourself. That God is inclusive to those who will humble themselves and receive help. Not just any help, but the help of God the Father through receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. The second point I would make is never quit eating. Never quit eating. Think about the absurdity of the state fair. Spiritually, never quit eating. We're dealing with an elderly person in our, our family, a dear aunt that we love. And, and I took her to the doctor this last week. Um, and, and she's, you know, losing weight. And she's eating less and less. And it uh, has caused severe weight loss. And the doctor uh, has given a diagnosis, and he called it, has lost the will to thrive has lost the will to thrive. She's not consciously trying to end her life. It's not as though she's trying to bring death early, not by any means. It's just whatever within us. You know, when I go to state fair, you know, I think for most of us, eating is a non-issue. But for some, it's more of a challenge. And when it gets so severe, the doctor may call it, the person has lost the will to thrive. So spiritually, don't do that. Create, cultivate an appetite within you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, don't just settle for surviving. He has far more for you and I than just surviving. He wants us to thrive. But that means spiritually learning to feed yourself and eating. To eat spiritually is more than just studying and memorizing scripture. I want to conclude before we come to communion. I, I think J.I. Packard does a, a, a good job. Uh, and there's many ways you can say this. You know, okay, Ed, what, what are you talking about by this uh, idea of personally eating, spiritually eating, uh, cultivating an appetite? He talks about personal dealing. So again, not just scripture reading, but that you personally deal with the Lord. It's not just knowledge of God, but it's dealing with him as he opens up to you. It's cultivating an awareness of God to where you begin to sense a confidence in him that you can release things to him. But it's the idea you got to personally deal with God. And he is a person. And he is there, and you deal with him as such. Maybe not talking out loud as you're in the grocery store in the line waiting, but certainly talking as you use your brain and your thinking and you're interacting with God. 
that you cultivate that dynamic, that awareness. The other is personal involvement. Your mind, your will, and feelings are engaged. Many of us have a hard enough time relationship one human being to another to be fully engaged, our mind, our will, and our feelings, let alone with God. We need to practice.